Today we're going to talk about a topic that we have considered talking about, mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe nine months. Since we first months. heard about it, which right. was about nine months ago. About January. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to talk a little bit about the David and uh, Louise Turpin case. Mm -hmm. and, and we'll talk a little bit about that case, but kind of spend a little bit of time talking about other cases that are similar mm -hmm. to this that involve um, parents engaging in actions that, that tend to harm their kids. Right. Um, and, and we're not talking about, you know, some of the typical parenting style uh, issues like authoritarian mm -hmm. parenting and stuff like that that we've talked about before. Instead, we're going to talk about more pervasive, more, um, and, and, you know, you've seen words, uh, especially regarding this case, words like sinister and, and you know, some of these really dire uh, mm -hmm. phrases used to describe families who engage in these types of behaviors. Right. Um, this is a, for me, was a particularly fascinating case. Mm -hmm. um, we've, uh, there was a show on years ago, The Duggars, mm -hmm. you know, the 20 some kids or 19 or something yeah. uh, on, on some number. Um, and I always wondered, what were the motives behind that? You know, mm -hmm. what, what would, what would um, motivate mm -hmm. a mm -hmm. couple to have 15 or 18 children? Um, and everybody wonders about that and becomes fascinating fodder on TV shows and reality mm -hmm. TV and all that and you start following them in magazines and on the internet. But this particular case, and you use the word sinister, mm -hmm. is especially troubling because of the degree of control that these parents were able to exercise mm -hmm. over these 13 children. Right. I think there were, thir yeah, there were 13 mm -hmm. children. Um, because when they were discovered um, in January, we mentioned Janu January of 2018, uh, they ranged in age from 2 to 29. Right. Okay. And um, the, when the police first uh, entered the house, they assumed that all of the children were minors because they were so small. Mm -hmm. But the oldest child, who was 29, weighed 82 pounds, so she looked like about a 10-year-old mm -hmm. would weigh about 82 pounds. Right. So they just assumed that even the oldest was small. Uh, they were very small, very pale, obviously malnourished, and three of them were chained um, chained to beds or chained to mm -hmm. something. Um, and so it was this, it was the um, the uh, degree to which these children had been abused that, what, that sent shock waves. Mm -hmm. um, and the first question, there were several questions that were asked that we want to pursue this morning. One mm -hmm. is, how could this have happened over mm -hmm. this many years? You right. know, why didn't anybody, I mean, there are 13 kids in this house mm -hmm. and the neighbors and, mm -hmm. you know, mailman, delivery people, why, why didn't anybody ever know that something was wrong, right. okay? Um, I don't know whether the kid, I don't know that they were ever in school, mm -hmm. but certainly school officials, officials would have been alarmed by the size of the children. Right. Um, so one is how could it go unnoticed? Second, why 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 would parents do this to their children? Right. You know, we we always hear about mama bear. You know, it brings out the mama bear, and we would do anything for our children. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why most people talk and hear this. This couple um, did these horrific things. Um, they were they only ate once a day, mm -hmm. and they only showered once a year. Mm -hmm. I mean, that came out in the trial right. that. They were allowed to eat once a day. They were allowed to shower once a year. And so the next question is, how could 
what what drives parents to reach this level of right. sinister behavior? And then the third question is, you know, so why didn't the neighbor, why didn't anybody know? What motivated the parents? What drove the parents? And then the third thing is, why did the children tolerate it? I mean, we're not talking about kids. We're talking about a 29-year-old adult. Mm -hmm. You know, so how was it that they were able to stay at, uh, captive mm -hmm. for so many years? Right. Know? So these are the three questions that we wanted to pursue. Right. And generally, uh, why do parents do this to children? Right. You know, why are they cruel? Right. And so, and we're, we're talking about this case and addressing these three questions. Um, with the knowledge that you know there are many things that parents do that some parents do that harm their kids right and so we're not we're not going to be referring to like sexual abuse or anything like that because as far as, as far as we, we know and that, that has ever come out there was nothing like that happening in this right with this there, family. there was no no um, evidence that there was any sexual abuse there are, there are certainly cases where that where that mm -hmm. is what happened uh, but this isn't one of those. Speaking um, of which, mm -hmm. you're a video fan. Mm, yeah, yeah. Movies. Yeah. You like movies. Did mm -hmm. you ever see The Room? No, I didn't. Okay. The, uh, what, the Room is a story of an Aust Austrian man right, right. who kept a uh, girl captive, mm -hmm. imprisoned in mm -hmm. his house for 24 years. Right. Um, and she had, over that 24-year period, she had seven, ch she bore seven children. Right. And I didn't, I didn't know about the story, but I hadn't seen the movie, and I wondered right. if you, you hadn't no, seen it. No, I haven't seen it. Okay. So, so, so we're, we're approaching this with that mm -hmm. um, acknowledgement that, that th this, this is a different kind of case than those kinds of cases. Because those, right. are, those are different right. Um, right. For, for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. and, and as we go through some of these, um, some, answering some of these questions, it's clear that this is a different kind of case than, right. than those, those kinds of cases. Um, so, so the the first question is how did how was it that nobody knew? Right, right. And it seems as though you know the initial reports, as is so often the initial reports, mm -hmm. is that you know it was a quiet, unassuming family. Um, you know, but the the parents tended to keep the kids indoors. That's right. Uh, they rarely went outside. Right. That they had two residences. Mm -hmm. um, one was in Texas, uh, where they lived from until 2003, okay, mm -hmm. so from 1980-something to 2003, they lived there. And, but the neighbors describe it as sort of a rural mm -hmm. area, and so there were people living across the street, but people sort of kept to themselves, you know, so it wasn't, they did say one thing, that they would see the children marching in a circle mm -hmm. on the second floor right. of the house at night. Um, and so there were some signs, but it wasn't until the family left the house, and this is one of the problems, why didn't anybody know? When the family moved to California in mm -hmm. 2003, um, people went into the house and found ropes tied to the beds. Um, there was a lot of filth of feces, and um, it was obvious that, that um, the house wasn't well kept, mm -hmm. and, um, and there were some dead animals around and things. So there was some evidence then that maybe maybe things weren't, but but the family moved and people don't want to get involved. Mm -hmm. So, in a way, we can understand. I mean, I have in Florida, this is not uncommon not to see your neighbors. I mean, right. I have neighbors who live twenty feet away from me. Mm -hmm. I would not recognize their children if I saw them 
right. out in the street. Right. Okay, that's not uncommon in Florida. I know the parents. I've seen right. them. They're out, mm-hmm. but the kids are the kid. The boys, their children are very, very rarely. They go to school. Mm-hmm. They're you know well behaved and everything, but. Uh, people in Florida don't see each other. Right. I mean, and I assume that that's the case most places. Yeah. I mean, I have. Uh, th- there's a little girl who lives across the street. We haven't seen her for months. I mean, yeah. I know she's there and she's safe, but so it, it's not atypical right. that a family could do this, and people just would you know, you know mind your own business and don't get involved. You know, mm-hmm. so that's a little understandable in Texas. Mm-hmm. In California, less so because now you have 13 children mm-hmm. and. Neighbors were always a little suspicious, but again, nobody wanted to do anything. Right. Okay. So well, they didn't. They didn't have suspicion to the point where they felt like anything needed to be that, done. That's the problem. Right. You, who would have thought, in your wildest imaginings, mm-hmm. that parents would do this to children? Right. I mean, it, it's just you. You can't get there. I mean, right. we were all stunned right. when this house was finally discovered. Right. And and I think that it, it's. It, it is such a, a fine line because, you know, how many times have you seen something and you're like, there's just something about it that right. just doesn't feel right. If you say something, mm-hmm. you know, then it creates this investigation and then all of this stuff could potentially happen. Right. You're going to be questioned and you're, you know, all this and then nothing comes right. out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, or you don't say anything and then, you know, then there's right. the risk of something like this coming out. Right. That is such a, a delicate balance mm-hmm. because, you know, everyone has different lifestyles. Everyone right. chooses to, to mm-hmm. live their life a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And just because what they're doing is suspicious or strange or unusual to you right. doesn't mean that it's going to be um, reportable. It doesn't mean that it's, some you know, if, if somebody called the Child Protective Services and says, huh, the kids are like marching in a circle in, at night. Mm-hmm. Child Protective Services. They're not going to do know, anything about that. Have you have you ever seen them be hit or, or mm-hmm. maltreated? No, I mm-hmm. haven't ever seen anything like right. that. And so they're not going to open a case anyways. Right. Mm-hmm. So and we don't have a system to react to this stuff. You know, right. and what would you do? Would you send the police because they're marching around in a circle, or you send the police because you haven't seen them? Well, we would do that all the time in Florida, right. because you frequently don't see your neighbors. Right. You're not going to call the police and say, hey, "I haven't seen these people for a couple of days." Right. You know. Um, I always worry when I see newspapers on the driveway, you know, in Florida, mm-hmm. they do throw them on the driveway. And after about three or four days, <laughs> you begin to wonder, you know, are there dead bodies inside or are they on vacation? You right. Know? Because you don't typically see people out right. in Florida. Did they, did they not do that in other states? No. You keep, you keep being specific about Florida. I didn't know. If, I've never lived in another state, so I don't know if it's... No, we had papers delivered. They were delivered by hand, bo- uh, paper boys. Are you talking about like the 1950s? 1830s. 1830s, okay. Yeah. No, um, Florida was the first place that I saw papers thrown out of a car. That was in the 80s or 90s. Yeah. I mean, I had lived other places, but I had never seen papers delivered that yeah. way. Yeah, I mean, it's been always been like that my whole life, so I didn't Really? Know. Yeah. Um, every once in a while, somebody will have like a little... Yeah, those little two mailboxes. Yeah. But, uh, but below their mailbox. Right, but most people just get it thrown on there. Right. Yeah, this was the first place I had seen that. And I was like that they're wrapped in plastic mm-hmm. and um because we used to fold the paper. Right. I used to we used to fold them a certain way so we could throw them mm-hmm. so they wouldn't unravel. Mm-hmm. So you'd ride down the street and you know, mm-hmm. fold them up and throw them on the porch. Um 
they put them in plastic bags here, and then it rains. Right. You know, so then you have a, maybe some days you had a soggy paper. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the the plastic bag is supposed to help with that. Yeah, I think but depends where the it's a way very it's a very thin plastic bag. No, but um, um, no, but it, it's not unusual in these warm climates. Right. I mean, you can go through areas of Arizona and Nevada mm-hmm. where you don't see people for months yeah. at a time because people stay inside. Right. So that part's not unusual. Um, and then what what do you say? What, what it, and then right. what are you asking people to respond to? So, in a way, you don't. I don't think we should blame the neighbors. Sure. It's not their sure. fault that, that they didn't report. It's understandable why they might not. Right. Okay. Now, the second question that you posed is a, is an excellent question, mm-hmm. and that is how do parents get to the point where they're doing this? How did these parents get there? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and and it is important <coughs> to to not just specify these parents because there are other cases right. where where this has you know these kinds of things have happened. And I think that there, there's a point that you made just a moment ago that I think is is key and, and certainly reflects um, this author. Uh, this is um, the article that we're kind of pulling some stuff right. from is uh, from the from the um, Independent, mm-hmm. um, written by David Cantor. He's a forensic psychologist. Right. Yeah, um, from England. From, from the UK. UK. Right. From uh, mm-hmm. University of Liverpool. But he's a well-known. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reason we wanted to use this article is this is a very well-known, highly respected forensic psychologist. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's done a lot of work in this area. So I was very interested in reading his account of this. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but something was mentioned that, that you mentioned a moment ago that's really key to this, and that is when they moved from Texas, mm-hmm. when people went in, they found the home in deplorable right. situation, uh, right. circumstances, status, and, and there was there were ropes on the, you know, tied mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. the beds and stuff like that. I think that the the key there is, you would think mm-hmm. that if a if a if a person and, and there's no indication that David or the mother, uh, Louise, um, have any intellectual impairments. I mean, he was an engineer. Right. Um, there's no indication that they had any serious mental illness. Nope. Um, mm-hmm. He held down uh, a, a highly stressful. Um, he was an engineer, right? Yeah. Job mm-hmm. for for a, an extended period of time. Right. Um, so there's no indication that there were any of those issues. Mm-hmm. Why would they leave the home like that, um, knowing that they, they're going to absolutely be tied to that? Right. Uh, yeah. Poor choice no of words, pun maybe. Intended. Um, but they're going to be connected to the home in the in this stat status right. um, with the ropes there, and that you know if somebody looked at it with a critical eye, they may say, "We need to talk to these people and see what's going on." That was the one question that's remains unanswered is that when the neighbors went in and described the house at that point alarm bells should have gone off mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. i mean here's physical evidence okay right. you can you can you can explain it away rationalize up to that point where mm-hmm. this house was obviously in such horrific condition and all the other evidence like the ropes and the broken things and um some alarm bells should have gone off right. if for no other reason than the the uh, Health, you know, the ha- the hazardous conditions that existed in the home. Right, right, right. So, but but the fact that the Turpins left the home in that condition suggests that they may not have really thought that there was anything all that bad about it. Right, and that was the next thought I had is right. that to them this wasn't that terribly unusual. You know, right. there was not nothing that would have aroused suspicion because right. we weren't doing anything wrong. So it's really interesting how David Cantor, uh, Dr. Cantor, presents this because what he talks about is the idea that perhaps parents such as the Turpins 
sort of began on this path of thinking, you know, we're going to raise, we're going to, we, we were called to have a big family. Right. Um, we're going to um, take care of them, you know, rising concerns about the, their safety mm-hmm. outside of the home and, you know, the safety in, in different right. um, settings at, mm-hmm. at, in schools and things like that. You know, um, the, the, the oldest was 29. Mm-hmm. So that would have been um, in, in the, what, in the mid 80s? 85 or 86. That, she that she was born. She was born, um, I think she was born two years before they were actually married. Right. So right. they've been married for 25 27. or 27 years. And they had this 29 year old child. So they had started, I think they had, they had started to have children before they right. officially married. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you're thinking, if you're thinking <clears> about <throat> that time frame, you know, it was within that, you know, five to 10 years after that child was born that that first child was born that you start having some of those real big concerns about mm-hmm. safety in schools right. and school shootings and some of those kind of things. Right. So certainly they could have had some of those anxieties and if they felt that, you know, they were called to have um, mm-hmm. a, a large family and if they believed that there was, you know, maybe some, uh, they had a religious or, or spiritual calling mm-hmm. to, to protect right. their, their family and to, um, to have this size of a family that it could have begun by these very That's innocent right. and appropriate and noble perspectives right. that just got out of hand. And yesterday we talked about things being on a spectrum, mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. continuum, okay? There are many parents, and this is very, very common around the country, who say, I want a large family mm-hmm. and I want to isolate my children from the bad things that are happening in the world. I don't want them exposed to that. Nobody questions that. I'm going to homeschool my children. I'm going to limit their access to media. We're not going to have cell phones. We're not going to have a TV. And and it sounds perfectly reasonable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, They're going to be homeschooled. We're going to go to church. And this will be our community. It'll be family, church, and homeschooling. And I'm going to isolate them from all the bad things that occur in the world, and I'm going to keep them safe. And it's perfect, perfectly reasonable when it's two or three children, even five or six. Okay, I'm going to have a large family. Right. As you're getting up to thirteen, that's I think one of the key issues here is that, in a way, what the Turpins did was simply the extreme version of what many American families are doing today. Right. Okay. At least from the beginning. They had far more than five or six children. Right. They exceeded, things got out of hand. Right. I I think, and that's one of the things that Cantor raises in his analysis. He said, they were probably motivated the way many millions of Americans Mm -hmm. are motivated today, but they lost control. Right. Yeah, and, and lost control from a variety of perspectives. In 2011, right. he filed bankruptcy, right. um, and that was the same year that he, that they uh, um, labeled or um, had their home identified as a private school. That's right. Um, with him as the principal. Right. And so, but you can, you can almost hear them say, you know, this is, we have a calling. The world is a dangerous place. Yeah, we have a calling to have a large family, and God will provide. You know, mm-hmm. we, we know, we're convinced that we're supposed to do this, mm-hmm. and somehow God will provide, okay? Right. Well, that didn't happen, mm-hmm. uh, or didn't happen the way they assumed it might. Or didn't happen the, in, in a way that was healthy for the kids. Right, right. So if they, they felt that it was appropriate for the kids to eat once a day and shower once a year, if they felt like that was okay that, mm-hmm. that would keep the kids alive and functioning right. 
Well, I think that, and, and he may have thought that, well, I'll have all these children and I'll get a promotion, or mm-hmm. we'll, I'll make more money, or Louise can go. Some, something will happen. God mm-hmm. will show us a way to provide for these 13 children. When that didn't happen, they started to have financial problems because mm-hmm. they were somewhere between 100000 and $500,000 in debt. So they uh, declared bankruptcy and reorganized. But again, lots of people declare bankruptcy. Right. Okay, So it's not, not terribly unusual that something like this would happen. But I think that this is simply an, ex- this is at the other end of the continuum. Right. Okay, That they didn't do anything unusual, bizarre, or atypical, except in the size, the dimensions of it. Okay? Right. Um, they had too many children, it became unmanageable, because the point that Cantor, Dr. Cantor makes at the beginning of the article is, when you have a large family, it's either chaotic, or you begin to develop rituals to keep things under control. Mm-hmm. I, I think the Duggars had some rituals that mm-hmm. they used. Uh, older kids would take care of younger kids, and they had mm-hmm. ways of doing things. Um, how do you manage 15 people? I mean, that team. Um, and so you have to have some rituals in order to gain control. Mm-hmm. Well, because the because the Turpins had more than they could handle, and then, fewer resources. Right. Then the rituals became more extreme. Right. And that's what. That's what Cantor thinks happened in this right. case, is that the rituals became extreme as they tried to gain control of what was an uncontrollable set of circumstances. Right, and, and so when you're referring to on the more severe mm-hmm. end of the spectrum um, of what many people do, there are a lot of things on that extreme end that are very extreme. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, having your kids and homeschooling them is is common. Common. Um, doing so with thirteen kids starts moving towards that extreme end. But then, when you start getting to the extent to which they exerted control right. over the kids, mm-hmm. we're getting to the very extreme end, and that's right. where we're getting what we're hearing about the ropes and the ch- yeah, chains. They were chained and they were denied like food. That. And they were beaten and they were you know beaten for small infractions. Mm-hmm. You know, the, mm-hmm. and some of the court. Filings indicate that it was Mrs. Turpin who did most of that abuse mm-hmm. while, while he was still working. Right. She was trying to maintain the house because it was a, a fairly typical family where <clears throat> he was the primary uh, financial mm-hmm. support right. and she was a stay-at-home mom. Had to be. And she was trying years. to manage all these children mm-hmm. and the her methods became more and more extreme. And then... then uh, again, probably out of necessity, <laughs> necessity. Right. from her perspective that... Right. I've got to keep these kids in control. I've got to keep things I have to manage this and managed, somehow. right? Right. And so, her techniques became more and more extreme. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I guess the 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 point that we're trying to get to, and I think that Cantor uh, talked about this in the article, is that many times families in these situations, the parents don't necessarily see as what they're doing as being wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they're they're doing what they feel as though they have to do, mm-hmm. uh, that they're called to do, that is their purpose, their sort of mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they are acting in a way that they feel is uh, justifiable, appropriate, yeah. or necessary. And, and again, I think that that's as indicated by leaving the mm-hmm. Texas home in those right. conditions. If they d- had no concern that somebody is going to, to come after mm-hmm. them for that, and the other thing is, they weren't hiding. 
they weren't really hiding these children. In right. fact, they would frequently renew their marriage vows. Mm -hmm. uh, the children. Took the kids with them. And dress them all alike and put it on Facebook. And right. so, I mean, here's the whole world. There's pictures of them, them at Disney. Right. And all dressed alike. Yeah. Okay. So every time you see these kids, they're dressed in the same clothes. So it took some effort mm -hmm. to create this thing. Mm -hmm. Now, were the parents secretly trying to get a TV show like the Duggars? I don't know. Right. But you begin to wonder if, and I agree with you, that I don't think they thought they were doing anything wrong. Right. Um, they wanted to maintain control. They, mm -hmm. were, they were starting to lose control. They wanted to maintain control. And it may be nothing more than they thought there was going to be some payoff right. that they would get a TV show mm -hmm. and start making lots of money. Right. You know, um, or get gifts and freebies from different. I don't, we, we don't know. Right. But it's not mental illness. Right. You know, people say, well, were they mentally ill? Not necessarily. Uh, if they're mentally ill, then. Other people who do this would have to be class, and there, we don't typically think of people who homeschool mm -hmm. their children and have large families as being mentally ill. We right. don't we don't attach that. Right. Uh, yeah. We don't attribute it to mental illness. Uh, and again, there's no evidence that that Mr. Turpin, and we're certainly not absolving anybody of responsibility here, but there was no evidence that he had a mental illness because he was able to keep a job mm -hmm. and you know. Right. Yes, I mean he was an engineer, he was a well-educated guy. Right. Now the third question you asked is about the kids. You know, how did how did they um, not say anything, or mm -hmm. you know, how how was it that that they continued to live this life? Right. And I think that th there's two really important points with this. The first is it's all they knew. You know, for the most sure. part, all 13 of them, mm -hmm. this was the only life that they knew. And so, you know, if you don't have a TV, if you don't have um, you you know, don't electronic devices, if you're not going, if you're not doing some of those things, you don't know that the world is any different than what you're experiencing. When these children were uh, discovered in January of 2018, now again, the oldest was from 2 to 29, mm -hmm. they didn't know what medicine was. Right. They didn't know what a policeman was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's how isolated they had been kept for their entire lives. Right. So not knowing the world, mm -hmm. um, and they were intimidated, right. frightened, uh, fearful. In fact, when when the girl, the seventeen year old daughter, mm -hmm. escaped, mm -hmm. she and a sister escaped. Right. The sister went back. Yeah. Crawled back in the house because she was afraid. Right. Of of going through with mm -hmm. this plan to uh, to announce. So it was it was the. Uh, the other sister, the 17-year-old, right. who had the courage to continue right. to find somebody in authority right. who could um, come into the house. And, and uh, all she wanted to do was um, uh, release the children, right. you know, uh, uh, open the house and release the kid, release her siblings, because she knew that they had been imprisoned. Which is the second point. In some way, and we don't really know how or mm -hmm. why, in some way, that 17-year-old found out, discovered, learned and we don't. that it, this was wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. And when she, you know, at, at some point thereafter, enacted um, and, right. and, you know, sought, sought um, support. Yeah, because sought. apparently they had been plotting this thing for two years. Mm -hmm. the, the, um, the escape plan mm -hmm. um, was in the works for a couple of years, and it was decided the two of them would right. leave. So at this, at some point, the children knew that that mm -hmm. something was wrong. Now, they were being held prisoner. They were being captives. They, 
um, uh, severely punished. Mm -hmm. So there was a fear factor. And there may have been some Stockholm syndrome where they sure. began to identify with their parents. Point is, we don't, we don't really know right. why the joke. But we do know, when we talk about generalizing this to other situations, we do know that children will tolerate an enormous mm -hmm. amount of abuse from their parents, A, not report it, and B, not realize that it's unusual. I had a, a patient years ago who, um, she wasn't abused, she was sheltered, mm -hmm. uh, really, really sheltered. Mm -hmm. And she said that it wasn't until she got to high school mm -hmm. and she went to visit uh, friends when she was finally allowed out, mm -hmm. when she was in high school. And she, she said, I just assumed that all families lived the way my family did because I never saw any other families. Right. Okay. We didn't have family here. Mm -hmm. We didn't visit. I wasn't allowed to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And she said, I just assumed that every family worked just the way my family did. Right. We all do. Right. We, until we go see other families, you know, mm -hmm. um, I do a lot of the cooking in our house and, and somebody asked me, do you know that most dads don't cook? And mm -hmm. my kids don't know that mm -hmm. because that's all, that's what they see. Mm -hmm. So you tend to assume that, you know, I've often laughed about this. Um, all of my relatives are Italian. Mm -hmm. I thought everybody was Italian. I thought everybody in the world was Italian when I was growing up. Right. You know, they, they all have families like this. Mm -hmm. They all do Christmas Eve this way. Mm -hmm. They all have big birthday parties. Right. They all get together every Sunday. I just assumed that everybody did that. Right. That's all you know. Right. Okay? So you can't really fault anybody here because they didn't know anything else. Right, and, and so you know the kids didn't say anything, A, because they, they probably didn't have much of an opportunity to. Mm -hmm. B, um, there was probably, there, there was certainly some fear and, and stress right. and anxiety involved. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but see, you know, they didn't know any different. They That's didn't right. know that, um, that what they were experiencing necessarily was, was problematic. Right, and when you have parents telling you that they're protecting you right. from the bad, you know, how many, I mean, you've had If patients. this is bad, imagine right. what it must be out there if these right. people are telling me that that's there are people who are going to There are people who are going to hurt you. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't say, you know, I'm not going to send, we have children come in and tell us that they were afraid to go to school because mm -hmm. they were sure. told that if they went to public school, they would be picked on and bullied and their mm -hmm. teachers would be mean to them, okay? Mm -hmm. And they go to put, and that doesn't happen. But right. that's what they're told. Right. I mean, and that's what these kids were told, that right. it's a very dangerous world, and we're just protecting you. Right, yeah. It was a pretty easy sell to kids who yeah. didn't know. Yeah. So a lot of cases like the Turpins mm -hmm. um, involve these, you know, we often ask these same three questions. Mm -hmm. um, and and it's, so it's really important that we remember that in a lot of these cases, mm -hmm. um, you know, we tend to, you know, as a society, mm -hmm. we tend to keep to ourselves. We right. tend to keep to our own. We don't, mm -hmm. um, we don't necessarily intrude on others and, right. you know, um, report others, even if we have a, a bit of a concern. Um, you know, parents tend to do what they feel is the best for their kids. Right. Um, most parents do not seek to harm their kids um, right. overtly or. Um, you know, sinister, sinister. We're saying most. Right. Some do. Some do. Right. Right. But most don't. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and kids only know what they experience. Right. Their <laughs> life is normal. <coughs> Before we leave this notion, okay. that okay. there is some, 
Um, there was some evidence that came out later. Louise Turpin was one of three girls. Mm -hmm. She had two sisters. And later on in 2018, the sisters were interviewed. And they divulged that the three girls were sexually abused. One of the articles I read said that they were sexually abused by a grandfather. Mm -hmm. Another article I read said that the mother sold them, uh, rented them, is probably more appropriate, to a wealthy pedophile. Um, he would pay the mother um, money and the girls would be abused by this. I don't know which version is true, but there's there seems to be fairly strong evidence that Louise Turpin was, uh, and her two sisters were sexually abused because she left the home at 16 mm -hmm. to marry David Turpin, okay? He was 30. No, he was about 10 years older than she was. Right. So he was in the mid 20s, she was 16. Right. And he was born in 81, she was born in 86. So she left the home at 16 to escape the sexual abuse. He wasn't born in 81, 61. 61, 61 and yeah. 65, right. Um, so her sisters thought that she was living a fairy tale existence, mm -hmm. okay? She got in, she was probably in way over her head and it may be that he succeeded in browbeating her into this way of living, you know, that I'm the head of the household, you will do, you know, this, this sort of arrangement where you're going to be taking care of the house and the children, I'm going to go to work, okay, but I'll make the decisions, and you know, you're much younger than I am, and right. so I was able to well, do this. But for her to get to that point, he didn't necessarily have to browbeat her. It could have she just been, probably already was. It could have already been that that was her perspective, and he was saying, hey, I will take care of you. You take, stay home and take care of the kids. We're going to have and a large for, family. And for somebody who had been abused all of her life, that may have sounded like a good deal. Mm -hmm. Okay. So again, it goes back to that idea that maybe this was better than what she came from. For her, right. For her, this may have been a better deal because they looked happy in all of their pictures. Mm -hmm. um, they had this, the, the, at least the outward appearance because they have pictures of them from the time they got together when she mm -hmm. was 16. He was seven years older than she was. I think he was 23. Um, that from the time they got together, they have all these pictures of them, how happy they were and they mm -hmm. were having children and they had the big family and everything looked okay. I mean, he had parents. Right. If we discount her, his parents were still around. Um, somebody was a minister. I don't know if it was his father or her father. Was they married when he was 30 and she was 22. That's what it was, 30 and 22. Yeah. Right. Because there was an eight-year difference between mm -hmm. them. And so, um, but she left the home at 16, mm -hmm. okay, and um, to, yeah. to get away from the sexual abuse. And so, um, maybe, maybe this seemed better to her. You know, right. that she said, okay, this or, is what I have to do. And then it got out of hand. Or it's, yeah, it seemed normal right. to her. So she was, we don't want to talk about mental illness here, but she was damaged. If the sexual abuse is true, if, if what has been reported by her sisters is true, um, she was damaged, she was traumatized by this uh uh, by her early life events. If she was neglected and abused, then she's at risk to be abusive as a parent, mm -hmm. okay? And so there is a possibility that she 
was a victim of um, uh, long-term sexual abuse and um, that she was traumatized by it and that that was reflected in her child-rearing practices because in the court proceedings, she's the one who's accused of most of the physical abuse and mm -hmm. the, the um, shackling and the tying the kids up. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. But again, these are complex. Right. And they're not... It's not just they're people not, being sinister to their kids. Right. And they're not terribly bizarre. They're just a more, a stronger or more extreme version of what many people do. Right. Okay. So... It's outside. It's 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 at the far end of some spectrum, um, but it's not. It's just more extreme. It's not really. Di it's a different degree, not a different type. Right. Mm -hmm. right. All right. That's it then. Don't hurt your kids. Yeah. But check out the article. It's really well written. Um, yeah, it comes from an authority. It's yeah. not you know Dr. Phil or something. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. He interviewed. He he did a show on this, of course. Mm -hmm. So. And tell us how you really feel no. about that. No, I, I'm, I'm completely non-judgmental. Until next time, <laughs> stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.